Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 121. Oh, life at a consulting firm. I apologize for presuming on your patience this one more time. Um, Bill and I, I promise, are cooking up something for you uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, this week, I am simply going to present to you our interview with Megan Levis from 2019. She talks about brain organoids. It's an absolutely fascinating topic. And since we didn't get new material out, uh, we may as well take one of the best pieces of our old material and uh, give it to you in this one convenient package. So here it is. Enjoy. Welcome back to Season 2 of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic Science Podcast, where we look forward to the new synthesis in the new millennium between faith philosophy, and science. I am bringing to you an episode that Bill recorded at Notre Dame with Megan Levis, who was the last of the speakers we hoped to talk to. She was too busy around the time of the conference, but she graciously made time to talk to Bill here in August. And so Megan had a really fascinating talk. You might characterize it as science fiction becoming fact. It was on the topic of brain organoids and the ethics of essentially growing at least the beginnings, in some sense, of a human brain in the laboratory and using it for our own purposes, diagnostic, engineering, whatever purposes we might put those to. There are a lot of purposes we could put a synthetic brain to. So in this episode, we lead up to that. Bill talks to Megan about her career as a bioengineering graduate student at Notre Dame. We talk about the engineering and ethical principles of design and biological systems. She talks a little bit about her own background and the importance of having a philosophical basis for her faith as far back as high school, something I can really sympathize with, could have used more of in my own life. And then we uh, get to that topic of brain organoids and how we need good philosophy and the ability to define terms and the ability to work in a very interdisciplinary sense where engineers have to use terms that can translate into the language of philosophers and ethicists in order to get a complete picture of what it is that we're trying to do and what its real implications are. It's a great interview. It's the first of two. We will bring you the second part of this interview next week. So for this week, here are Bill Schmidt and Megan Levis. We are now all set to go. And welcome, <laughs> Megan Levis. Thank you yeah. for having me. Thank you. Yeah, no, we're excited to, to have you on the podcast. We've had terrific uh, guests uh, with the speakers uh, uh, from the Society of Catholic Scientists a conference, and you were one of those, and addressing uh, the topic, uh, I guess it was titled, Created in the Image and Likeness of Man, right? Yep. And a very uh, thought-provoking title, especially given the title of the overall conference yeah. or the theme, which is, you know, really just the most basic question, what does it mean to be yep. a human, right? It was a, a great question um, and one that I've continued to think about. Yeah. actually added um, to the screen on my computer in the background right now still has that question from when I was thinking about this talk yeah. and thinking about what... Um, kind of how I, with my background, can respond to this particular question. That, that's great. Have you always, um, as a graduate, now you're a fifth-year uh, yes. graduate student at Notre Dame in biomedical engineering? In bioengineering. Bioengineering. So my undergraduate degree is in biomedical engineering. Ah, okay. Um, and uh, the University of Notre Dame, the way that they have it, it's a bioengineering program. I see. Okay. Yep. Is, is there uh, some um, interdisciplinary collaboration between the science and engineering schools? Uh, or how, do you, um, so bioengineering here is um, mostly in the mechanical engineering department. Ah. Um, I happen to be within the chemical engineering department because that's the home department of my advisor, ah. but it's a fairly new program at Notre Dame, and I think they're still kind of figuring out where this program um, actually lives. Yeah, I see. So it is new. That's interesting. Relatively new. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With, with a particular emphasis or interest in 
the ethics of what all this entails? Or is, is that kind of uh, territory that, that you're uh, pioneering or relatively... Oh, uh, are, uh, yeah, so are you asking if the department to, is... Yeah, I'm wondering to what okay. degree ethics is built into the whole discipline yeah. there. So that has kind of been my own spin that I've brought um, to the program here at Notre Dame. Um, one of the reasons why I'm here is because I was really interested in these questions relating to both faith um, and science and engineering. Right. Um, and Notre Dame is a great place where yeah. I am I have so many resources here in terms of Catholic community. Um, so, so that has been something that I have somewhat independently uh, made a point to spend time um, working and thinking about um, integrating faith and science and kind of the ethics side of things. Um, we walked by um, one of the centers a little bit earlier, so right. the Riley Center. Yeah. Um, I had the opportunity to work with them through a program called Social Responsibilities of Researchers, um, ah. where we spent a lot of time uh, thinking and working on projects relating to the societal applications and implications of our work. Wow. So that's true. It's not just a matter of a particular academic department, but one of the things that Notre Dame brings to the party is all of the institutes and centers that yeah. one can. Yeah, I would uh, say like multiple with. communities that you can kind of yeah. partake in um, yeah. and be a part of. So I've had the great opportunity to be a part of a couple of different, um, a couple of different programs. Also, this past year, I was part of the Laser Program, which is a leadership program through the graduate school. Ah. Um, and that came out of an ethical leadership program um, that both the Riley Center and the Graduate School had been running for the past couple of years through the NSF. Um, but they uh, sort of took that program and reworked it through the Graduate School. Um, so I've so I've had a number of like opportunities to um, uh, both learn about leadership and ethics, but also to um, be part of these programs where. Uh, it wasn't just about talking about it in the classroom, but it was also about um, having different practicums and experiences where we were uh, actually putting our money where our mouth was and um, partaking in different leadership um, opportunities. Very good. Yeah. And the leadership uh, consists of um, uh, just uh, not just the, uh, the ethical context, but uh, what, 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 uh, what are people looking for in the leadership in, uh of, uh, of these uh, bioengineering fields. Now, uh, obviously, everybody wants to be on the forefront of every <laughs> bit of knowledge, but sometimes when you're on the forefront, you have a special responsibility to know what you're doing and what the implications are of what you're doing, right? I guess yeah. that's a leader's job. Yeah, so um, something relating to that, um, this past year, I was uh, attended this workshop um, on multicellular living systems, uh -huh. um, that was built through an NSF technology center. They were the ones putting this workshop on um, where we were raising questions relating to engineering design principles of living systems, but also of ethical principles. Um, so it seems like there is um, a national interest in making sure that um, the technology that's coming out more and more quickly, um, particularly technology relating to um, systems of living things that we are doing a good job making sure that we're considering um, the ethical ramifications and the societal ramifications of the technology that we're developing. Very interesting, yeah. And obviously the uh, the folks who attended the Society of Catholic Scientists conference are genuinely interested in those aspects. Uh, uh, I guess it's just a, a natural a natural um, a ancillary of, of their Catholic faith. Is that, is, is that something uh, that... Uh, arose from your own uh, faith and your own faith journey? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that um, I have always found that my faith has been something that has informed my uh, approach to engineering and particularly approach to the human person. Um, uh, I think my faith has definitely informed the way that I see um, people as persons. Um and I think that that is something that is um, greatly kind of enhances my approach to my research as well um, in terms of not just thinking about the body as a series of machines, but also um, kind of like looking deeper at the integration of the parts um, and kind of how that is directed towards a particular thing. Um, yeah. And how that's directed towards God. Very good. And um, 
is in your own uh, undergraduate and graduate pursuits, have you found that uh, that kind of uh, interest in human dignity and all of the uh, ethical and faith ramifications uh, are uh, you, uh, you, not not too common or or mm-hmm. widespread uh, among your uh, classmates and colleagues? And- yeah, um, I think that's definitely a tricky question. Um, I think it's particularly tricky given that I'm an engineer in an engineering department. Um, engineers were not known for being incredibly social. Um, so something that I've been really enjoying about Notre Dame is that the longer time I spend here, the more I see um, professors at mass um, or I see students kind of partaking in the different um, Catholic groups on campus. So I feel like that's been something that I have um, seen develop in different ways, um, surprisingly, among like the different communities of engineers and scientists here. Um, mm. It has been such a great gift being at Notre Dame where um, there are multiple Catholic communities um, and getting to see engineering professors um, and other students partaking in those communities has been awesome. That, that's great. Yeah. And so uh, Notre Dame gives ample opportunity for wide-ranging uh, discussions and exercises of one's faith. Uh, what's your impression of the overall field, not only at Notre Dame, but in general, of uh, whether the uh, interest in and study of the ethical side and the value side of all that's happening in bioengineering uh, uh, is, is being fully treated and uh, considered? Uh, yeah, so I've definitely seen it growing, and I don't know if I'm just seeing it growing because I'm sort of going deeper and deeper into the scientific community. Um, but I, so this uh, workshop that I mentioned earlier that was run through the NSF, um, I think that's a, a very strong example of how um, the ethical questions are being raised kind of on this uh, national level. Um one of the things that came out of this workshop was actually a paper that I worked on with a number of other different participants, um, which included philosophers, ethicists, uh, scientists, and engineers. So it was a very multidisciplinary group. Um, We recently got this uh, paper that was talking about a community of responsible research. We recently got it published in an engineering journal. So there is definitely that interest there. And I think that it's growing. Um, And it's just been kind of cool to see the different ways in which all of these different fields can interact in, in so many That's different ways. Yes, yeah. It, that would be uh, kind of nice if uh, the, uh, the collaboration was bubbling up from the, from the base, uh, largely because of a shared interest in, you know, what's the meaning of what we're doing, and uh, let's consider the, the implications and ramifications. Uh, is when, when people are so busy just, you know, doing their graduate studies or then, uh, you know, doing their teaching and, and research, uh, that kind of, uh, faithful interest in the, the ethical side can sometimes kind of slip, right? You yeah. have to make a special effort to yeah. be focused on it. Yeah. Um, I think that that is definitely, um, a thought process that I've, um, seen with a few people. Um, and I think that it's kind of a false dichotomy yeah. there that you have to pit your, um, your ability to do great research with being able to interact with uh, different fields and do that kind of interdisciplinary question. Um, something that I've experienced that's been fantastic is that my advisor has absolutely been supportive of uh, my interest in ethics um, and has given me different opportunities to kind of engage in this interest. Um, and I think that the fact that um, I have been given an opportunity to think about uh, both my research on a small scale and think about the societal implications of it, I think that that has made my research better. Um, and I, I hope and I have a feeling that it will uh be uh, an opportunity that more and more students will have, especially in the space that I exist in, where um, one of the big things in bioengineering these days is the transfer of technology from the bench top into um, into hospitals and uh, into the clinic. Um, and so that translation of research, you can't really do that without having 
um, some type of consideration for how your research fits into society um, kind of in general. So I think that um, maybe part of that is this um, understanding and this uh, interest in kind of the ethical implications of that as well. Yeah. Ah. Well, I, um, I, I know that one of the things that Notre Dame uh, is interested in through the McGrath Institute is the uh, uh, sealing of that knowledge of the compatibility between science and religion, even at the at the high school mm-hmm. level. And it's 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 good to hear that there's not. You're right. It's not a, it's not necessarily a, a dichotomy for any particular reason, but there seems to be growing concern uh, in Catholic circles and pedagogical circles, etc., uh, that. Um, uh, the the cultural emphasis on scientific thinking mm-hmm. is uh, tending to draw away a lot of people from faith and from uh, you know uh, values informed thinking or at least faith informed thinking. Well, did you experience that at that at any point? Uh, you know, pursuing your studies. Um. Yeah, I I don't think that I have really experienced that, but I think that that comes from the fact that um, I had a particular opportunity in high school to be exposed to philosophy and faith together ah, ah. Um, and to kind of have that uh, deep inquiry for the truth. Um, and, and that truthful inquiry, um, I was kind of where I started, and then I moved towards engineering just out of an interest in faith and science, or sorry, in science and math. Uh And so I think kind of starting with that philosophical base and moving towards engineering, um, I can see how those things are like very complementary. And I hope that uh, more people kind of see the way in which they work together really well. I think one of the great things about Notre Dame, particularly for their undergrads, is their um, requirements of students taking philosophy and theology classes. I think there are a lot of the same questions being raised in both spheres, um, but I agree that there is uh, sometimes this um, sometimes this expectation that there that engineering and and your faith and uh, philosophy kind of exist in two different sort of realms, different parts of the brain. Yeah. Um, but my experience is always that they have been um, they've been. Uh, sort of asking the same questions and that they also um, enhance each other. That's good. Yeah. Now, uh, I don't want to uh, stop uh, um, inquiring about the uh, the conference and about mm-hmm. your talk, because I think that's, yeah. that's very exciting, too. And um, uh, so uh, you kind of gave the conference a glimpse of something that uh, some lay folks might... Uh, uh, think of uh, uh, still from the science fiction realm. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was part of my abstract was saying that these are questions that you would first think come out of science fiction, yeah. but actually are things that are coming down the pipeline in terms of bioengineering research. Yes. And so uh, what, what would you say is the, the, the fundamental uh, question that's being addressed now in ways that uh, those uh, science fiction age uh, thinkers <laughs> might not realize, is it that uh, you know we we actually are now uh, facing uh, the responsibility of how we treat organisms of hum- of, a, of a of a human characteristic? Is that uh, because that that is now a reality with these? Uh, you, you spoke of organoids, right? Yeah, yeah. Um... So the question that I was raising was, you know, what do we do with these um, systems of cells that are built out of human cells uh, that isn't necessarily an organ, but it's something that begins to look like an organ, having the structural components of the organ. Um, Yeah, so that was kind of at the heart of my talk. I um, still don't think that there's an answer to it. I think Uh. uh, this is one of those... Uh, fields where as we kind of conduct the research and as we have more information about how these systems uh, behave, I think that's when we'll be able to better characterize them. Um, So we were talking a little bit earlier about philosophy and science, and I think this is 
a great integration of the two because um, one of the things that we know from philosophy is defining our terms and being able to um, use language to talk about something and to categorize something. And I think at that point, then you're able to um, know how you should um, think about that thing and be able to kind of come to some conclusion of the um, ethical way in which you can treat it. Um, something that I've been thinking about a lot with um, engineering multicellular systems is the fact that we don't necessarily have the language to describe the category of things that we're talking about. Ah. Um, so this word, this phrase, multicellular systems, is kind of a clunky phrase, ah. um, and it describes a number of different um, things, such as bio-robots, which are robots um, that act kind of like machines that are built out of living tissue. There are these organoids that are... Um, systems of cells that begin to look like organs. Um, and there are a number of different um, examples for this where uh, because they're such a new technology, I think we maybe don't have the language to describe the category of things. Um, and being able to understand how we should categorize them, I think, will be helpful for being able to consider the ethical uh, implications of doing research um, on these systems. Mm. But that's interesting that it has to uh, steer clear of uh, merely a clunky, jargony language if it's going to draw in a discussion amongst everybody who really needs to be involved in yeah. the discussion. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. And I think part of um, the problem that I see there is that um, when we're using these like highly technical terms, which... Uh, I tried to stay away from my talk, but when we do that amongst engineers, we know what we're talking about when we're having these conversations um, or writing papers about them. But it's hard to um, maybe include uh, philosophers and ethicists at that point if the language that we're using is kind of too, um, too like too much jargon. Yeah, it's technical uh, language, huh? Uh, very uh, specific to the, the craft of it rather than the implications of it. Yeah, um, and I think uh, part of that and, and another uh, yeah, part of that and part of that problem might be the um, when we use those highly technical terms, we're sort of specifying every little thing rather than saying, oh, these types of things are of a similar class or of a similar type. Um, and therefore, we can say that it is, um, you know, falls under these sort of ethical principles or ethical considerations. Right. Yes. And your talk went into uh, a lot of that and used some wonderfully appropriate uh, non-clunky and fundamental terms like personhood and identity and things like that. So yeah. maybe what we'll do is we'll stop uh, with the first part of this uh, uh, taping and uh, return on that topic. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I'm your sound engineer, Paul Giesting, bringing you part two of Bill Schmidt's interview with Megan Levis, graduate student in bioengineering and speaker at the Society of Catholic Scientists Conference this past June at Notre Dame. The conference is at Notre Dame, and Megan is a student at Notre Dame. Convenient. It's always handy when that happens. So, in this talk, in this interview, they go through further into the philosophic details behind Megan's topic of growing, <laughs> growing small human brains in the laboratory. And we wade into the further philosophic issues of what does it mean for our own individuality. We also talk, they also talk a lot about the role that the Society of Catholic Scientists has actually played in allowing her to network and get to know other people in the field, people that she's had very fruitful uh, collaborations with, and her own effort in a lot of different directions to seek a broader community of people interested in faith and ethics and doing her science and engineering in a way that's consistent with those. So it's an intriguing and inspiring interview. We're glad to bring you the second part of it. And with that, I will let them take it away. Thank you for returning for our continuing conversation, Megan Levis. 
Thank yeah. you. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. This thank you. Great. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking about the uh, talk that you gave at the June's um, uh, conference uh, held here at Notre Dame uh, of the uh, Society of Catholic Scientists. And you uh, spoke on uh, the title, uh, Created in the Image and Likeness of Man. And that really pinpoints some very interesting uh, moral questions that combine the the forefronts of uh, engineering, science, uh, medicine, and and religion. And uh, it sounds like uh, your five years as a uh, graduate student of uh, uh, bioengineering, quite busy with all sorts of uh, science and religion kinds of topics it that you it's kept you busy yeah <laughs> yeah well i think both of them keep me interested in each other that's interesting um, where they kind of build on each other and you know the more i learn about science the more questions that i have in terms of um how that kind of interfaces with my faith and with si- with faith and philosophy um and then you know i'll do a little Digging in the faith and philosophy world, maybe attend a talk or right. read a book. Um, and then I think that goes back in and informs my approach to engineering. Um, so they've definitely kind of been building on each other. That's great. And uh, quite uh, quite a, a contrast to what's too often feared happening, that uh, the those two fields are drifting further apart rather than coming together in people's hearts and minds. But we talked about that in the earlier episode. Um, now, we, we started talking about your your own uh, presentation and how uh, it necessarily, because we're dealing with really the forefront of a lot of bioengineering uh, and uh, stuff that used to be just stuff of uh, science fiction, uh, there's a lot of clunky uh, jargon uh, that, that might be out there, uh, but... It, uh, it's something, all uh, the, the implications of what's being worked on is something that needs to involve everybody in conversation and, and awareness. Huh? Uh, nothing uh, presents that more than the way you were uh, talking with the scientists and uh, attendees about some fundamental words, uh, uh, personhood and personal identity. Uh, how did that fit in with your presentation, which was specifically on organoids, organoids as a kind of precursor of a new kind of organism that uh, we're, we're able to create now, we're yeah. pursuing the creation of. Um, yeah, so those questions of uh, personhood and identity yeah. definitely feed back into my talk of which the talk title which is created in the image and likeness of man. So yeah. I was really asking questions about what do you do with something that was created in the image of man and not in the image of God? And are they different or are they similar? How are they different? How are they similar? Yeah, this is a big, yeah. <laughs> a really big question um, that I threw out to the group uh, with the talk that I gave. It's a very important question. It's a question that... Um, Every time I bring it up to someone, and I've had many conversations over the past year about what do we do with um, organoids, which are multicellular systems built out of brain tissue, um, what do we do with these brain organoids? Um, are they uh, similar to a human, uh, similar in the right kinds of ways that they would um, be meriting moral uh, moral consideration, or are they dissimilar enough? Are they? Can we basically just think of them as 3D cell cultures? Right. Um, every time I have a conversation with someone about this topic, I get a different insight, a different answer. Um, I think there are so many pieces of this that I am still in the process of trying to piece everything together. Wow. By the way, what what is your own uh, current uh, research uh, focusing <laughs> Yeah. on and how is it related to Yeah, that's a great that question. And yeah. um, so this is a, a side topic that I was interested in that uh, relates to um, a good amount of my research. Um, so my 
uh, main project that I've been working on over the past year or so is building devices called microfluidics. Um, so they're very small devices um, that we can grow things inside of. They can be used for a variety of applications. We just happen to use them for um, uh, growing cells and um, small organs. Um, we do a lot of work with fruit flies in our lab. Um, so we grow fruit fly organs in these microfluidic devices. Um, but basically, they're like mini bioreactors. So we're able to keep things alive in them for longer than you could if it was just in kind of static media. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so uh, I um, have been working on this uh, really cool project to make it a lot cheaper and easier to make microfluidics for research. Um, so actually, this project is built out of a collaboration with a scientist that I met through the Society of oh, Catholic Scientists. Uh-huh. Um, I happened to sit next to Dr. Ontiveros, uh, um, who is at St. John Fisher College. Um, he was really the first person that um, developed this technology. He mostly used it in the classroom to introduce his students to different um different uh, fluid flow problems. He's a biologist, um, so he put cells inside of them, but um, is mostly in a teaching position. So we, um, through this collaboration, really took um, our method of making microfluidics um, and brought it into the lab and tested it in the lab um, and found that we could use it for a couple of neat applications. Um, So one thing that Dr. Ontiveros and I did was we... um, we actually got some organoids, not brain organoids, um, but oh. we did. We have put organoids inside of the devices, um, but primarily right now, our research has to do with putting um, fruit fly organs and fruit fly cells um, and other cell types inside these devices. Nice. Mm. And uh, the the key issues that you raised regarding personhood and identity and all. Uh, are they exclusive to the brain organoids? Mm. And, and yeah. you can explain why. I, I think it's about <laughs> yeah. personhood. So, a, yeah, yeah, I think when you think of personhood, um, uh, that leads you into questions regarding the mind and get you into philosophy of the mind's territory. Yeah. Um, and when we think about um, personhood um, and the mind and the body, um those questions um, are a little bit more easily defined if you're talking about, you know, um, skin tissue or if you're talking about um, organs that are not the brain. When you talk about organs um, or organoids that are similar to the brain, um, I think it gets a little bit more interesting because we uh, maybe, like, don't have the best understanding of the brain. The brain is an incredibly complex organ. Um, And, you know, going from a thought all the way down to, like, a synapse, Mm -hmm. there are a couple of levels of connection that haven't quite been mapped. Um, So within that, um, I think our understanding of ourselves particularly when it comes to ourselves in insofar as we think of, you know, the way that our brain works um, and the way that we have ideas. I think those are really fascinating questions. Yeah. Um, and they're, yeah, particularly fascinating when you're uh, thinking about something that maybe like looks a little bit like the brain, but um, isn't quite a brain. That's yeah. So we are not even completely uh, clear uh, as human beings, about the, the connection between the brain and our mind and our personhood, right? It's yeah. A, and didn't you say that there's um, a, a general principle among bioethicists that it's uh, the capacity for rational thought yeah. that is kind of the benchmark for whether certain responsibilities to the dignity of yeah. an organism, a person... Mm-hmm. Uh, kick in? Is that yeah. right? Uh, um, that's yeah. a lot of so this, stuff to conjure. Yeah, this definitely gets out of my, um, <laughs> you know, engineering wheelhouse uh, where I spend a lot of time talking about materials and uh, cells and um, things like that. But yeah, so this definitely gets us into the philosophy of the mind territory, um, which is something that I specifically stayed away from in my talk because that is not my expertise. Uh, uh, um, and there are many... Um, there are many different theories of the mind and kind of the mind-brain connection. Um, 
Yeah, I will uh, clarify in terms of uh, personhood. Yeah. It seems like there are um, there are a couple of different components to that. So it's not just about the brain, and I think it's important to note that the person is not just reducible to their brain. Indeed. Um, uh, people are kind of these complex creatures yeah. um, where we have many, many different parts. Um, I guess the... the, the thing that I wanted to poke at in, in this talk is that it seems like um, the brain is a part that is maybe not as disposable as, say, a hand or another organ. You know, there are um, transplants of uh, very various um, kind heart transplants, uh, lung transplants, um, but uh, a brain transplant seems to be getting us into a, a different territory. Um, and I think that has to do with questions relating to uh, personal identity and kind of where the person is if you do yeah. um, if you do something like a brain transplant. Yes, yeah. But it also struck me that uh, the idea of identity is something that is, in a sense, of a, a, a function of of the. the Brain or the mind? I might be. Mm. I might be mixing yeah. those up in this case, but uh, especially, I don't want to get into yeah. uh, the, the hottest topics of cultural, <laughs> rel- yeah. you know. But it all. Uh, the, one of the questions is: What is human identity? Uh, what is a person's identity? And is there a sense in which a person can create their own identity to some degree? Mm. Yeah, uh, and obviously that's not an that's, <laughs> yeah, not that's bioengineering. A, yeah, that's a really yeah. big question. Um, uh, so what I was thinking about and what I brought in with this talk um, was individual identity. Yeah. Um, so that was building um, off of some work by a Catholic bioethicist. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, mm-hmm. um, but he was the one who. Um, kind of uh, pose this question of identity when we're thinking about um, organs that are uh, particular to the person. Um, So Uh. uh, with philosophy of the mind, um, there are a lot of people who are asking questions of where do you kind of you as a person reside within your body? Wow. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And that's, that's a huge question. Um, I think uh, my experience uh, both kind of as a Catholic and as a bioengineer is that um, we, um, in and of ourselves, are um, integrated into our body. So um, I think that's an important point to be made, the fact that, okay, yes, you can have something like a heart transplant or um, a lung transplant, but um, at the end of the day, most of our experiences are experiences that we have through our body, Um and there's this very uh, powerful connection between our brain, our mind, and our body. Um, and so I think trying to tease those particular um, things apart from each other, um, kind of in a sense, is like very, um, very hard to do. But um, yeah, these are these are like really <laughs> heavy questions. Yeah. Um, but I think they're interesting because I think um, all of us kind of have this within ourselves of wanting to know kind of what makes us individual um, and yeah. kind of how do we work. I think that's a question that I've always been fascinated with as a um, as a bioengineer. Um, I think philosophers answer this from a different perspective, but um, from the bioengineering perspective, yeah, like how do we work? How do our cells communicate? Um, a good amount of the research that I have to do is has to do with... Um, asking questions of kind of how does a cell, you know, over here in this part of the organ uh, know to be over here and not to be on the other side of the organ and kind of how do the shapes of our organs um, grow and develop. So (laughs) there are like tons of different ways in which you can ask this question of kind of like what makes us tick and how do we work? Um, And this is just kind of asking it from this um, interesting perspective where we're um, abstracting um, some of the pieces, uh, some of the essential pieces of what it means to be human, away, um, yeah, away from itself. Yeah, 
and, and you're asking good, meaningful questions about uh, the integration of it all and the integrity of of the human uh, being and, and of the organism. Whereas um, some might say that uh, we all love and need engineers. Thank goodness for them. Yeah. But I, I think maybe a layperson's stereotype of engineering is sometimes that they're masters of uh, you know, making uh, uh, focusing on the separate parts yeah. of everything, and uh, making them making everything fit, and making mm-hmm. everything work, and solving the problems thereby. But um, is that a kind of natural conflict that um, someone uh, like you, who's studying engineering but from a Catholic perspective, has to, uh, uh, in a sense, struggle with that uh, uh, being integrative and uh, uh, you know, separating uh, so for functional reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think maybe I'll refer you to Walker Percy on this one. Oh, so Walker Percy, great. <laughs> yeah, he is a great, a uh, great author, yeah. one of my favorites. And uh-huh. um, you know, uh, in his book Lost in the Cosmos, he talks a lot about how um, in this the sort of cultural soup in which we live this day, um, we're always going to exist in, in some sort of tension. Um, you know, being a human being is not a very comfortable process. Um, things are constantly changing and moving, um, and it's transient. It doesn't last forever. Um, so I think, um, I think Walker and Percy has it right where, um, we are called to kind of exist in this tension. Um, and we have to kind of exist in this tension of, um, two different things that might seem like they're good um, or they might seem like they're the right answer. Um, but life is not so easily re- uh, reducible to kind of a particular saying or kind of the simple answer. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely a tricky thing. Um, and I think Walker Percy has it right. I like it. I like it. Boy, it's nice to know that the, <laughs> the, the truth resides not only in science, but in literature and in all of the... And- oh, absolutely. <laughs> the biggest supporter of literature and art. Um, I think that um, this is something that you pointed to a little bit was um, that we tend to look to science for kind of answers to the big questions. Um, But I think that uh, literature and art, and I will say literature in particular, um, allows us to engage with truth um, in a way where we maybe don't have these um, predispositions or presuppositions when we approach it. And I think reading... uh, reading uh, any sort of novel um, does a really good job of revealing uh, to you truths both about yourself and about the world around you. Um, Kind of in an unexpected way sometimes where the truth will just sort of like sneak up on you. Um, And I think great literature does that. That's great. Yeah. And now you're making uh, me realize how appropriate it was that our dinner speaker at the uh, Society of Catholic Scientists was (laughs) indeed a uh, writer. Right? Yes. Uh, yeah. I guess a Hugo Award-winning science fiction <laughs> yes, yes. writer, um, and, uh, and so the, the truth uh, must come for, from, forth from yeah. all well, fields. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we had um, a science fiction writer because uh, actually in my physics class in high school, uh, we watched, I think it was this movie that was talking about how a lot of great advances in technology actually have come out of science fiction. Um, uh. And a lot of uh, great uh, scientists and engineers are inspired, I think it's a great word to use, right. um, inspired by science fiction. And um, I think that ability to like wonder about the world um, is a, is definitely a gift that is um, transmitted um, sometimes through engineering, but also sometimes through uh, literature and indeed. art. Indeed. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess I should uh, uh, ask uh, about the society itself uh, in terms of uh, whether you find that a, a useful portal to that broader uh, realm of knowledge, uh, because you are indeed a, a, an enrolled, registered <laughs> graduate yes. student member of the society, right? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I've been a member almost since the beginning. I wow. was at the first um, annual meeting for the Society of Catholic Scientists, and I mentioned that um, one of the collaborations um, that has been incredibly successful, we've had um, 
Professor Ontiveros um, here at Notre Dame two summers in a row, um, visiting and working and conducting research in the lab. Um, and so far, we've had uh, two papers um, that we've submitted through that collaboration, um, and that just happened through uh, Dr. Antiveros and I sitting next to each other at the first conference. That's so cool. Um, and just striking up a conversation about research. And um, so I think it's uh, a great, a great community, yeah. um, and has already been um, incredibly helpful, both in giving me the opportunity to uh, spend time. Um, thinking deeply about questions that relate to both faith and science um, in the way that I was able to do with this talk, um, where I had an opportunity to just kind of set with the topic and, and think about it. I actually thought about it for a whole year before <laughs> giving this talk. Oh. Um, and um, also, yeah, forming those research connections. So there have been um, multiple good things coming out of that. Um, I also, this past summer, was at a conference with uh, Dr. Barr, the Great. President, um, right. he gave a conference um, at uh, Providence College through Lumen Christi. Oh, right. Um, that was on modern faith, no, modern science and ancient faith. I oh, think, I think that's the name like of that. his book. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, no, Chris no, no. Paglow's book. Okay, uh, hold on. Yeah. The, it uh, was a, but it was a Catholicism and science conference through Lumen Christi. Um. But that was led like Barr, by, uh, uh, yeah. it was led by Dr. Barr and uh, Father Nicanor Austriaco. Oh, whom we yeah. interviewed. Well, he's an amazing <laughs> person, too. Yeah, wow. yeah. But um, it was an amazing uh, opportunity to get to spend a whole week with a set of other Catholic um, graduate students uh, up at Providence College sharing uh, both about um, uh, Father Nicanor's approach to faith and science and also uh, Dr. Barr's approach to faith and science. And it was a small group, so we got to kind of have a good um, community of graduate students and um, also get to learn from uh, two great um, Society of Catholic Scientists members. That's great, yes. Um, so uh, in addition to the obvious uh, fact that uh, the Society of Catholic Scientists can help uh, young uh, engineers and scientists and philosophers of science, etc., uh, 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 really uh, deepen uh, that integrity of religion and uh, and scientific and engineering pursuit. Um, uh, as as speaking as a graduate student, speaking as a, a future member of the uh, engineering profession, would there be any other uh, suggestions that you would have for? Folks like yourself who want to advance in the field in every way, as you so meaningfully have, um, but um, but also to keep in mind these uh, these values questions. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that definitely my advice would be to smart start small, start um, in your own community. Um, I think the way in which we build a culture is through friendships and good connection. Um, that's something that I have loved about Notre Dame is being plugged into a couple of different Catholic communities and having the opportunity to, you know, um, sit in Starbucks across the street right? and have amazing conversations oh, about yeah. philosophy or political science um, or about brain organoids. Um, so, yeah, so definitely. That would take some, uh, uh espresso, wouldn't it? Uh, uh, from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, we all know the token drink of graduate students is dark coffee. <laughs> right. And plenty um, of it. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Um, but then also just, um, uh, keeping an eye out for different opportunities. Um, so I know there, um, the Center for Ethics and Culture right. here at Notre Dame um, has opportunities and conferences and lectures where students um, at Notre Dame or students from out of town can come in and hear um, great speakers. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have an incredibly supportive advisor, so I've been able to uh, have conversations with him, and he's also been able to connect me with different ways in which I can um, kind of engage in the ethical side of bioengineering. Oh, that's great. Um, oh. And then there are a number of um, great centers across the country. Um, not every year do they ha always have a faith and science conference, uh -huh. but um, I've 
yeah, like the Lumen Christi one that I mentioned. There's right. also Collegium Institute um, mm. sometimes has conferences for both undergraduates and graduate um, students. So I would just say um, the path maybe isn't as clear for a science or engineering student who has these interests um, as it might be for a humanities student. But um, I think just keep your eyes open. And I, my approach has been to have as many conversations with as many people will listen about this. Um, And usually it's some loose connection where someone will connect you um, with another person that maybe will have a different approach or different resources for you. So that's me. The personal connection is, yeah, very Um, important. I, 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 Called the Holy Spirit kind of the great networker. <laughs> Absolutely. Am I right? And yeah. It, yeah it, so much can be accomplished just by plugging into yeah. communities. And, and I will say, like, for students to not feel rushed into any, um, to having to do kind of everything all at once, um, I think the time that it takes to go through these things um, and to maybe the time that it takes to be connected with a community like the Society for Catholic Scientists or a community of like-minded graduate students. Um, Sometimes it does take a couple of years, um, and that's not a bad thing. (laughs) And I think, at least for me, at least it has made me much more appreciative um, of the time that I have had to wait before um, getting plugged into a community like the one that I have here. Yeah, Ah, but it's paying off. That, uh, that should be my last question. Then, uh, wh- okay. wh- wh- uh, it's it's not meant as an interview question. Where would you see yourself in ten years? Or, you know, within twenty years. Oh, wow. uh, do you have any particular aspirations? Yeah, for that's a career? that's a really big question. Um, a question that more and more people are asking me now that I'm getting to the that's end of right. grad school. You, yes, yes. Um, you just defended your thesis, right? Uh, uh, my it, thesis it, proposal. Your thesis yes. proposal. Yes. Great. So I proposed yeah. it, and now I have to write the thing. Oh, all right. <laughs> that question. I think that my career will probably be a little bit of a charting my own course, kind of entering into things as the door is open. I don't think that it's going to necessarily be a traditional kind of trajectory. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that my approach until now has just been to do things that I'm (laughs) interested in. Um, And I think they lead to things that you're more interested in. Um, And I think when you're truly interested in your topic, you engage with it in a way that you do um, better work than you would if you were just trying to fill your resume. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And engaging with similarly passionate uh, people uh, through those networks you were discussing yeah. uh, uh, is, is going to help discernment uh, yeah. all along yep. uh, into the future. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Megan. Very good to talk with you and all the very best of uh, of knowledge growth and blessings uh, growth uh, in your own career. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank this you. has been great. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can email a link to this episode at thatsosecondmillennium.net, share the post for this episode from our Facebook page, or you can use your podcast app's built-in sharing feature.